A couple of years ago, a young man named Jake Scott joined our hunting camp. He is a hard-charging, fun-loving guy who brought with him his powerhouse little yellow lab named Thule. They are going to be a lot of fun to spend time with in the years to come. Last night, Jake sent me a video that made me laugh. I sent it on to a number of other people, did the same thing for them, made them laugh. I hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Now, there is a funny part to it, but also a serious part. You see, it captures how I'm feeling and how a lot of preachers around the country are feeling right now. Take a look at this. Back in the 1980s, Tony Campolo preached a message titled, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I've been thinking about that message quite a bit the last two weeks. It's Friday. We can't gather together, but Sunday is coming. And when it does, we will celebrate the risen Lord. We will worship him and we will give him credit for all he has done for us. The way he sustained us, the way he's watched over us, the way he has taken care of us. It's going to be a good day. I am as excited as what you saw in the video for when that happens. And I hope you are too. This morning, before we get into the message, I want us to make one more stop outside on the walking trail or what we've been calling the prayer trail this past week. There are some prayer stops along the way that help focus our minds. Seems pretty fitting for us to do that very thing this morning, to focus our minds before we get into the message. I have a couple friends that are already out there. Let's go join them. Boy, don't you just love it when people won't wait for you? That's what just happened to me. Matt and Deanie are already out here on the prayer trail. Let's just listen into their prayer. Father, as we come to you today, Lord, we're thinking as a nation, Lord, we're asking for your guidance in this uh, situation with the virus and Lord and people's health. And it's not just in Montana or Libby, but we're talking about the world and, and things have changed and uh, people are scared, Lord. We're, we're scared of the unknown. But uh, you have given uh, minds around the world the capability to solve things like this, Lord. You would get the credit for the It's the minds and the people that you're the one who's created, Lord. So we're asking that this can be taken care of, Lord, and that uh, also through this that people would see that you are the one. You're the protector. You're the provider. And, Lord, I know there's many people that are lifting up prayers that probably haven't approached the uh, throne room for a long time other than when the last time they were in trouble. So, Lord, uh, we're asking you, give us uh, the answers uh, as we're in this world and as a nation stuff, God, that uh, too, and that this would be a time where people turn their eyes on you and that they would see uh, you for who you are and your son Jesus for what he has done for us, God. So hear our prayers on behalf of our nation and, and the world that we live in, Lord, and that you will shine out in, in all your glory, God, because you are good. And we love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, I just want to thank you for the gift of the church, the family that you've given us, um, that we can come together and, and uh, worship together. Uh, but Lord, right now uh, we're separated, and um, Lord, for some of us that's uh, harder than others. It's difficult uh, not being able to come together and worship. So, 
God, I just pray, as we've asked many times, to fill Libby Christian Church with your spirit, Lord, that you would fill the hearts of the people who make up Libby Christian Church, and even um, our church uh, across the world, God, that you would be working to draw people closer to you in a difficult time. God, that you would strengthen the church, even though we're apart, uh, just uh, by looking to you and um, coming together in spirit, Lord, and in truth, knowing that Jesus uh, died for our sins, but um, made a way uh, as we look forward to the day we get to be with you. Um, it helps us as we walk through troubled times. God, I just pray that um, as we uh, feel isolated uh, from other people, that we would draw closer to you and and Lord, that you would um, just help us to remember that we are family. And uh, even though we're apart, um, we're family because of, of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. And I would add my amen to both of those prayers. Walk back inside with us and let's get into the message. We've been in a study of the book of James since the first of the year. We've been making our way through it pretty slowly. And we've been going in order. But these past few weeks, we've had to jump out of that and just glean some of the wisdom that he has in other parts of the book. Today, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to jump out of order and grab hold of some things that James would really like us to hear, especially during this really unknown season in our world. I appreciate the grace that you've given me to do that. Rest assured, we will go back and pick up the parts that we have missed. Today, we've got some good stuff to look at, so listen close. Young man named Terry, when he was 18 years old, met a friend about 30 years his senior. Terry would say that he learned a lot from that man. For the most part, he learned all of it from the positive. But every once in a while, there were some negative lessons that he was able to apply to his own life. This man would tell Terry that he had experienced a pretty significant amount of success in his career, and it was one that was oriented towards helping people. He had a good home, he had a marriage that he loved, and well-behaved kids. Everything went pretty well for him. Terry knew that because of the relationship, but as his friend described it, Terry got really interested. Take a look at how he would say this. I never asked God for too much. I just told him I wanted a nice, quiet life and to be able to help a few people along the way, and I told God I didn't want to suffer too much. Well, his friend would go on to tell Terry that that is pretty much what he had. Terry, when he got to really thinking about it, found himself a bit sad. He was thinking maybe his friend had sold himself short. This is how Terry would have summed up what he was thinking. Maybe instead of telling God what was on his mind, this nice man should have asked God what was on his. That's pretty good medicine for all of us. Now, Terry's not the first person that would say things like that. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would grab that same idea and put it right in the middle of his book. Listen close, will you? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. 
Now, as I read that, it seems like the message is pretty simple. James is saying, keep your thoughts to yourself and just ask God what he wants. But as you unpack those verses, you find out very quickly that it is anything but simple. James has a lot to teach us. He has a lot for us to learn. So let's just get into it. He begins with this great teaching. We don't know how many years that we will have on this earth. I like the way he uses a metaphor to describe that. James says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Think about it like this. In the mornings when we go out, particularly this time of year, there can oftentimes be a dew all across the grass. That dew is there. It's very real. It is very tangible. Just walk through it and you'll find out. Look down at your boots or your shoes and you'll see that they're wet. But as the morning goes on, the dew starts to disappear. And by the late afternoon, it is gone. Oftentimes long before that, it is nothing but a memory. Well, James is teaching us that the same thing is true of our life. Our life is like that mist. It's there and it's very real. But in a short amount of time, we will be nothing but a memory. Therefore, we have to figure out what to do with the years that God has given us on this earth. Now, James isn't the only one to teach lessons like that. There are other biblical writers that would say the exact same thing. Let's start with the Psalms. The psalmist would sum it up like this. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. That's from Psalm 144. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, would follow that up in the book of Proverbs with great teaching just like this. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Whether we choose to learn these lessons from the Old Testament or the New, we still have to learn them. And they will always lead us to a question. If this is true, if my life is like a mist and I don't know how many years that I have on this earth, then what am I supposed to do with those years? Well, let's go back to the Psalms to find the answer. Moses actually wrote this, and a lot of us make the mistake of believing that the Psalms were all written by David. Most of them were, but there are other writers involved in that long book. Moses is one of them. And when you recognize that he is the author of the 90th Psalm, it should make you want to sit up and pay attention. The man knew what he was talking about. Listen to this. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. It's our responsibility to number our days aright and to do it for a specific purpose, that we might get a heart of wisdom, that we might know exactly what we're supposed to do with this life that is but a mist so that we are more than just a memory. We make an impact. We make a difference. Well, there are some ways that we can go about that, and that's a lot of what James is teaching us. It begins with surrendering what I would refer to as the God struggle. Listen again, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, we've got to put some skin on that verse in order for it to make sense to us. Now, this is what I mean by that. Remember that James is writing to a Jewish audience in the nation of Israel. A lot of the businessmen during that day would travel city to city, 
on a donkey or with a camel or pulling a cart themselves, whatever the case might be, they would take their wares with them, the things that they had made, and they would sell them in one town and then they would move on to the next town and they would sell them there. Well, he seems to be writing to a businessman. Makes a lot of sense to us because we still have people that do the exact same thing in our world. They just don't use a donkey. They travel in cars or they travel on airplanes. This man has set his own path. He has determined his own course, like most of us do. We determine our own path, our own course. That is the God struggle. When we choose to do things our way, we are struggling against God, which really means nothing more than this. We have to determine who's in control. So let's take a look at the five things that James would call out in a God struggle. I really like these. Number one, this man was setting his own schedule. James says that he would say, today or tomorrow, we're going to move into this city. That means he's determining his plan. And the second part of it, he selected his own path. We will go into such and such a town. So I know when I'm going to leave, and I know where I'm going to go, and nobody's going to convince me any different. Number three, this man determined the limits. We'll spend a year there. So I know when I'm going to leave, where I'm going to go, and how long I'm going to stay there. And all of that is determined by this Jewish businessman. Then he set his agenda. I'm going to spend a year there to trade, to do business. It's going to take me about that long, so that's my plan. I'll be there for 12 months. And this is where it gets really interesting. And number five, he predicted his outcome, and I will make a profit. Now, the God struggle part of this is really very evident when we recognize that at no point did he ever invite God into this discussion. He just made his own plans without thinking for even a brief moment that those plans could get disrupted. I want you to imagine for this businessman that something like this might happen. A worldwide virus could make its way through his homeland. And the government would tell him that he could no longer conduct business. He could no longer travel city to city. He's going to have to stay home. Well, what's that going to do to this plan as it is laid out? It's going to turn it upside down. It's going to turn it inside out. This man's plan, as well orchestrated as it is, is never going to happen. That's the God struggle. You have a plan, you have a path, and you have no room for God in the midst of it. So when something happens that makes it not work out, it can leave you spiraling. It could have left this man spiraling, completely out of control, because all of his plans cratered right in front of him. It wouldn't be very long after James wrote this, in fact, only about 30 years, before the Romans would march across that land all the way into Jerusalem, the city would be sacked, the Jews would be spread out of their country, and they would not return until about 70 years ago. This man's plan, within three decades, would not have mattered one bit. He was going to have to move and start his life all over again. There are people in our world right now that are wrestling with that same thing. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their retirement income. They had everything orchestrated. They had everything worked out exactly the way they thought it should happen. And the stock market crashed, or their business went down, or they got laid off. All of those things are very familiar to us in just the last few 
weeks. So then we have to ask this question. If we're not supposed to make the plan, if we're not supposed to set it all in motion, then what are we supposed to do? How do we make our way through moments like this? Well, in the God struggle, we find the answer. Surrender control. Let God have it. We don't have to do it all ourselves. We don't even have to make the plan. The equation changes with one simple move, asking God to be the one who authors the plan, asking God to be the one to create it and then carry it out from beginning to end. There is a lot of comfort and a lot of peace that comes into our life when we choose to do that. I like the way the writer of Proverbs, again, that Solomon would say this, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Well, that's the same thing that James is trying to capture when he makes this statement in verse 15 of chapter 4. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, this is our plan. So we're going to put it in motion, but if something changes, we'll trust God. Our life won't be disrupted. We won't spiral out of control because we know that we are living right in the middle of God's will. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if we can't explain it, we are living right in the middle of God's will. That allows us to rest easy in His sovereignty. That allows us to trust His protection. That allows us to know that even in times like what we're facing or what that man would face 30 years after James wrote this letter, if his hypothetical Jewish businessman was still alive and had followed James's advice, he would be able to say, well, I'm going to have to leave Jerusalem. I'm going to have to leave this place that I know. I'll go start over. I'll get out of here as fast as I can, and I will trust God's will. Even though it doesn't make sense, I will trust God's will. Do you see how that one little addition changes the entire equation? Well, that's what James is wanting us to figure out. And he wants us to do that so that we can know the peace of walking through life with God. And there is nothing better. So we have to determine how to add that part of the equation into our own struggle for control, our own struggle for our desires and our plans. Well, I want to walk you through a few steps that will help with that. Take a look at this. Number one, we have to remember that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. That's John chapter 10, verse 10. Now, when we understand that, we know and we can trust and rest in the fact that God has something much bigger for us than we would ever put into place ourselves. God has a bigger plan for us than we can imagine. So now we get to step back and let God do the imagining and then just take the steps to move through it. Beginning with this, number one, we have to acknowledge our fear of the unknown. That is the first part of this. Matthew would write these great words in his gospel. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 34. 
So it is all right. In fact, it is imperative for us to say, Lord, the unknown scares us. We don't know what to do with that. And God will say back to you, it is all right. Seek me first. Trust me first. And I will help you through all of the details. All you have to do is seek me first. And you do that by acknowledging your fear, acknowledging the emotions that you deal with, even the ones that you wrestle with. Number two, pursue a deeper relationship with God through His Word. Look at this scripture. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm chapter 119, 105. When we open up the Bible, we're going to find the, the guide we need, the map that we need. And then we can make our way through life simply by following that. But it means that we're going to have to get to know God's Word at a much, much deeper level. I like this story. I don't even remember where I heard it the first time. A little boy fell out of bed late one night, and his mother went in there while he was crying on the floor. And After she comforted him and was holding him in her lap, she said to him, Well, what happened? Why did you fall out of bed? And this was his answer. This is pretty good. He said, I think probably because I stayed too close to where I got in. Now, isn't that wonderful? We do the same thing in our relationship with God and our knowledge of His Word. We stay too close to where we get in. It requires us to move deeper into His Word and our knowledge of who God is if we're really going to be at a place where we will trust Him, where we will turn over control of our life, where we will surrender the God struggle. Take a look at number three. Remember that planning is biblical. Just invite God to join you along the way. At no point did James tell us that the man shouldn't make plans. He just says that he should have said, if the Lord wills this or that. So we make a plan and we invite God to get into the middle of it. And if we have been seeking God first, the plan will be in accordance with His will. The details He will give us through His Spirit and they will all make sense. Remember, he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The details will be added as we choose to walk with God. Now, here's the next step. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15. You've got to think about each step. Is this what God would want me to do? Is this the way the Lord would want me to go? And when that is confirmed within you, then move. Whatever you do, move. Once it is confirmed, get going. And that will lead you to this. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. You're ready now just to commit everything to God. And then as you're moving forward into it, God is ready to make sure that it comes about. It's a two-part relationship. You trust God so that you can move into God's direction so that God can be who He is. It requires both of us. And then that sets the stage for this. Know that God knows what's going to happen. There are no secrets. Even what we're facing today, even the disruption of plans that we have all experienced was never hidden from the Lord. He has not been taken by surprise. We have talked about that the last couple of weeks. The reason I want to continue to drive that home is to remind you that your faith matters. Hold on to it. 
Don't let it be shaken just because certain circumstances within our world don't make sense. You hold on to all of it. The writer of Hebrews would say it this way. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All of this is known to God. Every part of it. Even back in James chapter 4, what that man would experience was known to God. Good or bad, it was known to God. So there's an element of surrender that is necessary for us when we choose to, to give up the God struggle and trust Him to lead our path, to lead our way. That surrender, boy, it changes everything. John Ortberg has a, a really good way of reminding us of this. Being open and receptive to the leading of the Holy Spirit is a non-optional part of transformation. If we are going to live a new life with Christ, then we are going to have to be open and receptive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That is a non-optional part of a transformed life. If you're not willing to be there, then that means that you're not willing to trust the Lord. Don't let that be the case. Whatever you do, don't let that be the case. And because this is a non-optional part of transformation, James, back in chapter 4, could make this statement in verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now I would boil that down because, again, I'm a little bit simple-minded. I would boil it down this way. When you know what God wants you to do, do it. Don't question it. Do it. For whatever reason in our culture today, we believe it is okay to question what the Bible says. We believe that it is all right to question the things that God has laid out for us, believing that maybe God has changed His mind, believing that what the Lord said all those years ago doesn't apply to us today. But I'll remind you, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you worship at Libby Christian Church very long at all, you'll hear me say, God says what He means, and He means what He says. So when we know that the Lord has laid out a particular course in front of us, whether that is personal, professional, spiritual, emotional, relational, whatever it is, when we have found the answer in His Word and we know what to do, we have a responsibility to do it. James says to not is sin. That's pretty pointed. That's pretty direct. Earlier in his book, James would make this statement. Chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Boy, there's a lot of deception that runs through our minds. There's a lot of deception that runs through our culture. Some of it we've already talked about. Well, God way back then said this, but He didn't know what would be happening today, so we don't have to pay attention to what He said way back then. Or it doesn't apply to me, it applies to other people. Or worse, and this is what James was driving home in chapter 4, I don't care about it, I'm still going to do it, even though I know it's sin. That's a dangerous place to be. And if we ever find ourselves there, it is a good indicator that we have lost the God struggle. We have decided that we're going to hold on to control ourselves. Now, you remember I said in Psalm chapter 90, we needed to pay attention because Moses was the author of it, and we could trust that he knew what he was talking about. 
When Moses said to God, teach us to number our days aright, Moses understood that. He spent 40 years in Pharaoh's home. Then he spent 40 years as a shepherd out in the wilderness. During that second 40-year period, you know that there were times Moses was wondering what in the world God was doing. Well, God was setting the table for the third set of 40 years in Moses' life. That last segment was the one that mattered the most. Everything that had been happening up to that point was teaching Moses to number his days aright, even though he didn't understand it, so that he could lead the children of Israel through the desert and to the promised land. He understands what it means to say, Lord, teach us to number our days aright. Well, James understands what it means to say, be doers of the word and not hearers only. James understands what it means to say, once we know something from God and we choose not to do it, it is sin. And here's why. For more than likely the first 30 years of his life, he didn't care about his brother. He didn't care what he had to say. We've already talked about that in this study of the book of James. It would not be until the resurrection that he would sit up and pay attention. So he could look back on those first 30 years and say, man, I wasted those. I wasted those because I heard from God. He is my brother. I heard from him. I knew what was important to him, and it did not matter to me. I lived my life the way I wanted to live my life, even to the point of mocking God. Could you imagine that, the brother of Jesus having to acknowledge that he was a God mocker? Thankfully, all of that happened before the crucifixion, and it was covered by his brother's blood. The resurrection made all the difference for him. And after that, he was numbering his days aright. He would become the leader in the church in Jerusalem. He would become a person of great influence. He would become one of the biblical New Testament writers. His days were numbered aright. He would stand his ground in the face of some of the most difficult circumstances. James would do the things that mattered to God. He would do the things that mattered to his brother. And from the point that he believed at the resurrection, he never looked back. He numbered his days aright. You can do the exact same thing. I love the use of the word now in the New Testament particularly in this one passage in the book of 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 5, verse 20. Paul writes, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For your sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I helped you. Now, here's where now comes into play. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul's saying, right here, right now, this is what matters. For some of you that are watching this, now might be the day of salvation. For some of the rest, now, right here, today, might be the day of obedience. It might be the time of surrender. It might be the time for you to say, I know what God has said. I know what the Bible says. I know how these decisions are laid out in front of me and what I'm supposed to do. And I've been resisting them, pushing back against them, not willing to surrender. Today might be the day of surrender. Right here, 
right now. Paul would say, behold, now is the time. Well, for many of us, now is the time of trust. Now is the time of faith. Now is the time to hold on to hope. Now is the time to spread the message of love. Whatever the case is in your life, whatever situation you're facing, behold, now is the time to surrender to God and let Him lead. That's the message of James chapter 4, at least these four verses that we looked at. There's great wisdom in them, and there is great application for us right now. Make the application in your life. Pray with me, will you? Father in heaven, we are grateful for your brother's teaching. We're especially grateful for the fact that it didn't just come from him. It comes from you, and we trust that. But we also know that a lot of life situations, choices that he made, both before he believed in you and after, come into play in this book. He writes with practical power, and that touches us in very personal ways. I'm praying, Father, for those that were touched listening to this. As they open their Bibles and look deeply into what you had to share, I pray that the application of time right here, right now, will become very clear to them. Whether that is salvation or whether that's surrender or anything in between, I pray that that will be true for all of us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you even in these days as people question you. Sometimes your people question you. Thank you for being patient with us, giving us grace, giving us room to make mistakes, but at the same time being ready to show us the path that you want us to be on. And it is one that will always lead us deeper in our walk with you. We're grateful that that is possible through your Son. We are grateful that knowing you is possible through your Son. Help that always be the message of our life. And for those that need to hear more about it, I'm praying, Lord, that you will stir their hearts to reach out. And I'm asking that in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember that the church is always here for you. And even as we are instructed now by the governor to remain distant from one another, there will be somebody here. And we will be ready to answer your questions and tell you more about what a relationship with Jesus Jesus Christ means. Be sure and reach out to us. Thanks for tuning in today. Hi, my name is Matt Warner. I'm an associate minister here at Libby Christian Church. And as we prepare for communion, I would like to share some verses out of Philippians chapter 4. These verses I've been looking at a lot lately and... and, um, It's really helped me. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And uh, one of the reasons why I've been pouring over these verses is just uh, holding on to the peace of God. I was thinking 20 years ago, I was in a situation in life where uh, I really needed the peace of God. And, and uh, one of the things that helped me just really hold on to it was um, just repeating 
the idea that I have been saved by the bloodshed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, second half of verse 7, it says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sac sacrificed. And um, I just want you to think about that today. If, if the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. So right now in a time of difficulty, um, having peace is something that we all want, something we all need. And uh, I also know that there's been times in my life where it's come quite naturally as I just turn to the Lord in prayer. And it's like that peace covers over me. So whether it's, it's natural to you or it's something that you really have to ask Lord, ask the Lord to remind you of, um, His blood, Jesus' blood, was shed for our sins. And we know that we're going to be okay. We know that Jesus died um, and that his blood was shed and he rose from the grave. He conquered death. And so in the end, whatever happens, we get to be with Christ. And so um, right now, I hope today that you can have that peace as we take communion. And um, I just would like to pray for this time that um, we have. God, I thank you so much for your blood that was shed for my sins, for our sins. God, that in a time of um, difficulty, we can turn to you and know um, that peace comes because of what Jesus did. And so we remember that and we hold on to that and we find hope in that uh, today. And I, I just thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, my name is Deanie Burns and I'm one of the associate ministers here at Living Christian Church. And I get to bring some uh, offering thoughts today uh, for our offering time. And there's a neat verse here in Proverbs, the third chapter, verse nine. Listen to this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And there we have the thoughts of honoring the Lord with the things that we give back. And you know, right now we're in a time that uh, things are changing. Uh, Financially, for all of us, things are unsure. Uh, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring or next month, what it's going to bring for sure. But here's one of the things I want us to hold on to. We have to decide that uh, we need to set something aside for the Lord in remembering Him. Because when we do that, we're bringing honor to Him. And our uh, offering time has changed. We're not passing an offering plate, obviously, uh, because of the social distancing and some of the things we're having to do right now. But uh, you can mail your offering to the church. You can drop it off in the envelope. We have people doing that. We have people asking questions about how to give online. And so that is the opportunity that we have. And you can call the church if you have a question about that but but we want to bring honor to God even in this hard time and and show him that we are thinking uh, about him through these processes and each person can determine what that is going to be and so just join me um, in a prayer and I want to just thank God for this opportunity that we have father uh, we look to you in all things and God, we want to set aside a portion of the things that you've given to us back to you because we love you and this is a time to do that. So, Lord, uh, um, 
Thank you for taking good care of us and providing for us. And we're asking that in your son Jesus' name. Amen. One of two, just close with this thought that you can have a takeaway here. Listen to this out of the book of Deuteronomy. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Isn't that a neat thought? A thousand generations. We are living in some of those generations right now. Thanks for uh, worshiping with us today. Yeah.